Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so incredibly grateful to have you here. Friday to you. What a beautiful day. And I have two very dear friends who have birthdays today. Happy birthday to Amber and Dakota. I love you both. Just had to squeeze that in before we get started. And welcome to every single one of you. If it's your birthday today, happy birthday to you. Today I am going to talk about praying in the Holy Ghost and the use of speaking in tongues in the New Testament. I had planned to talk about something totally different today. But I woke up a bit late today, and when I woke up, I just had this most incredible mixture on the inside. Worship, and hunger for the presence of God, and grief, and joy, and questions, and awe, and loss, and anticipation. And I drove to church, where I pray often, and I just did not have words to even convey in my native language, the things that I was feeling. And I just sat with the Lord and cried and spoke in tongues. And over and over, um, Romans 8.26 kept coming to my mind. And Romans 8.26 says this, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm going to read that in the New Living. It says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And so just my experience this morning in that verse coming repeatedly to my mind, is what inspired today's episode. Tongues are absolutely a part of God's plan for the New Testament church and for our walk with him. And there are three uses of tongues in the New Testament. First and foremost, it is the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this aspect of it, but it is part of the plan of salvation. Um, You could go back and listen to the episode I did called You Shall Receive Power. Um, And this was the sign that was accepted by the apostles in the book of Acts that a person had been filled with the Spirit. Um, We see this in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Peter says in response to their question of what to do to be saved, he says, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then he goes on and tells them for the promises to you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And this was after we read all the different languages they were speaking that P- 
people heard them speak in their own native tongues. And so very, very powerful in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, we see Paul go to the church at Ephesus and he asks them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they say, we haven't even heard if there is such a thing as the Holy Ghost. And he lays his hands on them and they speak in tongues. Um, And this really just signifies that receiving the Spirit to fullness, to overflowing, is a different experience than belief. And so, again, tongues is first and foremost the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. Jesus called it the promise of the Father. In Luke 24, 49, we read this. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. In Acts 1, 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them, this is talking about Jesus, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. And so if you have never experienced the Holy Ghost in this way, seek Jesus for it today. It's real. It's powerful. It's for everyone, like Peter said on the day of Pentecost, and it is the evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Search the scriptures. You're going to see this to be true. This is a birth. Like Jesus said, you must be born of the water and the Spirit or you cannot see the kingdom of God. It's a beginning. But once we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we have to maintain that oil of the Holy Ghost in our lives. And I want to preface this by saying this is not a condemnation. If you have been filled with the Holy Ghost and you struggle to speak in tongues, Tongues is supernatural. We cannot manufacture it. We can seek Jesus and we can uh, walk in a humble stance and a humble posture and take out any hindrances that would possibly block the flow of the supernatural in our lives. But we are not responsible to produce tongues or again, try to manufacture them. But also we don't want to be in a position where we are in some way, shape or form quenching the spirit. So I want to say that just very emphatically that this is not to be taken in condemnation in any way because I've had several conversations with people over the years that have maybe struggled to speak in tongues. Um, Tongues, the second use of tongues in the New Testament is as a gift of the spirit and I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. This is talking about tongues used in a public setting with interpretation for the edification of the church body. Um, I'm going to read just a few verses from 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit or in tongues, and I will pray also in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join in giving thanks when they don't understand what you are saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. And Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all, but in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. So again, the second use of tongues in the New Testament is for 
um, edification in a church setting to be used with interpretation. And there are instructions in the Bible for how this should play out. But Paul did say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. And this is kind of where I want to focus in is tongues as a powerful element of our personal devotional prayer. Again, Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all when I'm alone with God. And when we pray in tongues, there are some powerful things that happen. Jude 20 says, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. We build our faith when we pray in the Holy Ghost, when we pray in the Spirit, when we pray in tongues. It has, it's kind of like a weightlifting effect. Our faith is built. Our faith is strengthened. Our faith is encouraged and bolstered by the practice of praying in tongues in our personal devotional time. Number two, we speak directly to God and we speak mysteries. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 says, For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. So we speak directly to God. Number three, the Spirit prays for us. It says, um, in reiterating what it said in 1 Corinthians 14, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. And lastly, our weaknesses are strengthened. And this is really the verse that just, again, kept coming to me this morning. Romans eight twenty six. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That word help or helps in Romans 8.26 is only used two times in the New Testament, and it is a very long Greek word. It's sinan tilim bonami, something like that. It means this, to lay hold along with, to strive to obtain with others, help in obtaining, to take hold with another who is laboring, hence universally to help. So the Spirit of God comes alongside us and labors and strives with us. It helps us and it helps something in particular. It helps our infirmities. And this word means a want of strength, weakness, and infirmity. And specifically in this verse, want of strength to bear trial and troubles. And so what an encouragement that when we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit of God is literally laboring with us to give us strength for our weaknesses, for our own inability to bear up under trial and trouble. And there is incredible strength in, again, praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. And I want to just encourage you today, if you've never experienced the promise of the Father, seek the infilling of the Holy Ghost with evidence of speaking in tongues. It is real. 
It's supernatural. It's empowering. Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And it's a promise. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. And one of the things he said is they shall speak with other tongues. And if you have received the Holy Ghost, God wants it to be an absolute powerful aspect of your relationship with him. There's times you're not going to have words in your own native language, but the Holy Ghost is going to help and it's going to pray the exact prayers that should be prayed through you. God's going to strengthen you through it. He's going to build up your faith and he is going to help your weaknesses. If you have any questions on any of that, or want scriptural support for something that I said, please reach out. You can contact me at megunedited.com. Again, I would urge you to get into the Word of God and study this out. It is part of God's plan for the New Testament church. Today, I am going to share an unedited journal entry called Bitter Oranges Make the Best Marmalade. This is a little bit of an all-over-the-map entry, but I really felt God confirm this this week, that this was what I was to share And so, again, bear in mind that it's unedited. When I've written these pieces, I've not necessarily written them to be shared. They're just kind of thoughts that God is illuminating in my heart and my mind, things he's illuminating in his word as I read. And sometimes they come out a little bit more perfectly and poetically than others. But I do pray that something that's shared here will be an encouragement today. Bitter oranges make the best marmalade. Life is such an incredible mixture of good and bad, happy and sad, joy and sorrow, victory and defeat. But the rearview mirror always seems to display the pretty bits. Unintentionally, that ties into a thought that's been swirling and twirling through my mind for a long time. Several years ago, while doing some research, I ran across this little line in an article. Marmalade. The best is always made with bitter rather than sweet oranges. Just like marmalade, I believe the best lives are made with bitter experiences rather than sweet experiences. Oh yes, there must be a mixture of both, just as bitter oranges with no sugar would never be put in the best marmalade category. The best lives will always be a mixture of bitter and sweet. When bitter experiences come into our lives and we refuse to allow them to make us bitter, there are incredible things that take place in the deep, recessed places of our hearts. Bitter experiences mellow, settle, and soften us. They add a flavor to our lives that, combined with joy and beauty and laughter, produce a mixture that others will observe but never know the source of. Casual observers, acquaintances, and even friends will never look at the sum of your parts and know the bitter experiences involved in the mixing and making of you. So many of us avoid bitter experiences. When they happen, we lock them away, determined to forget the pain and move on. It is, however, in embracing and pressing into bitter moments that releases their full impact in our lives. Pain aversion will never produce a delicious quality in our souls. Years and years ago, I taught a lesson called Even Bitter Chocolate Makes a Pretty Good Cake. No one would ever eat a spoonful of cocoa on its own, but mixed with eggs, butter, flour, and sugar, you have a concoction whose flavor far surpasses that of a plain white cake. You don't eat the cake and think of the bitter cocoa. You taste the melding of the sweet and the bitter combined, and that combination makes for a pretty good cake. 
When we are in the middle of a bitter season, it is easy to think it will define your life or that it will always be this way. The reality is, however, that a bitter season of loss or grief or sorrow or heartache will make you so much better than you'd ever be without it. Bitter seasons are the thing that will make you into who God wants you to be. The key in bitter places will always be to keep a right spirit. Bitter to bitterness or bitter to betterness. The choice will always be ours. Embrace bitter, run to Jesus with bitter, release bitter, let him use bitter as he sees fit. This reminds me of Exodus 30, 22 to 25, where God instructs Moses on the recipe of the anointing oil. Take thou unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hen. And thou shalt make it a holy oil ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary, it shall be in holy anointing oil. It is interesting to note that the first ingredient God instructs Moses to include in the sacred anointing oil was myrrh, which literally means bitter. Myrrh was the sap of a tree that would harden into a resin or into a bitter gum of sweet smell and valuable. Genesius lexicon. Myrrh was bitter to the taste and sweet to the smell. I have heard it said there was more bitter ingredients in the anointing oil than sweet and that everything in the anointing oil had to be crushed, ground, or broken. Stan Gleason. Yesterday, pastor said the only way to have anointing is to suffer. Ouch. Bitter, crushed, ground, broken, suffer. Those are not the things that I would ever volunteer for, yet those are the very things that God uses to produce the sweet fragrance of anointing in a life. Anointing is somewhat elusive and somewhat hard to describe, but it is readily recognizable when it is resident on a life and it is in the crushing and breaking down of both bitter and sweet components that it is produced. I see more and more that God loves brokenness because it produces dependence. He had always wanted a people who would rely and depend totally and completely upon him. David wrote in Psalm 51, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And the Lord is nigh or close to them that are of a broken heart and save such as be of a contrite spirit. Contrite here means crushed to a fine powder. Again, not something the volunteer arm goes up for. But it is in the crushing, bitter things that dependence and subsequently anointing is produced. The sweet fragrance of God is released in a life as self-sufficiency is replaced with dependence through the process of crushing. The bitter places, the broken places, the seasons of life where we have no strength for the next moment, the days where we have no idea how we'll make it and we have reached the end of personal resources, the places we want to run from but have nowhere to go. These bitter places, bitter tears, bitter questions are the things God uses to release anointing in our lives. Sweet seasons alone would never have this effect or produce the dependence God desires from those that are His. 
Like marmalade, the best lives are produced with bitter ingredients. The lives he is most able to use are those that are stripped of self-reliance, self-will, and self-dependence. It is those who endure bitter and the crushing of bitter that will exude the fragrance of Christ. God told Moses, you shall make it an oil of holy ointment, an oil compound after the art of the apothecary. It is to be a holy anointing oil. It was not bitter alone. There was sweet too. It was in the crushing, melding, and mixing of both sweet and bitter that anointing oil was compounded. If you're in a bitter season, hold on because a sweet season is on the way. God is not going to leave you in bitter forever. He'll add some sugar to the marmalade. He'll add some sugar to the cake. All bitter oranges or all bitter cocoa would be just that. It is in the mixing, the compounding, the melding of other flavors and ingredients that produces something desirable. Allow him to add as much bitter as he sees fit. He is the one with the recipe for anointing and the one who knows the process through which it is produced in a life. Marmalade. The best is always made with bitter rather than sweet oranges. I think it's true that the same can be said of our lives. And so today, just encouragement to seek the Lord for the power of the Spirit with evidence of of speaking in tongues and to stir up the gift that is in you, as Paul wrote to Timothy, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, to use tongues in your personal prayer time. I believe that we pray prayers that we may never know on this side of eternity. God prays through us for maybe people on the other side of the world at times. We really don't know exactly what we're praying when we pray in tongues, but use tongues in your personal prayer time. Thank you again so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit meganedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I so look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy birthday. Happy Friday.